Hello. Hey, what's going on? What does trade spending mean to you? Like, could you summarize what your immediate reaction was when you listened to it? I mean, it's about two dudes talking about trade and then also with a lot of dad jokes <laughs> like sprinkled in and a few like hot takes as well. Yeah. Here's a hot take. Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. <laughs> I don't know what that was that what we were going that for. That was a dad joke and a hot take <laughs> in one. I'm Rob. And I'm Artie. And welcome to Tradesplaining. We're not just a podcast about trade. We're also here to talk about why trade matters, what's going on in the world, and what it all means. We get to talk to cool people who share their insights, and we have a few laughs about trade and development along the way. And Artie also sings sometimes. Moving on. On this episode, we'll be talking about supply chains, logistics, road transport, and why these three things are not as boring as you thought. To help us along the road, we also have Umberto DiPreto, top honcho for the IRU, the International Road Transport Union, joining us. Now, without further ado, let's get into it. Well, it's been an extremely busy week processing requests to block spam on the Tradesplaining account. The filter, however, has let through a few points. First among these this week was lovely, quote unquote. This one came from Charles, who we interviewed, we interviewed last week. That's we right, interviewed yeah. last week whose expectations were so low that he was shocked when it actually worked out. We like to be, we like to please our customers. We aim to please. Yeah, yeah. We had an interesting listener who asked us to address environmental goods in a future broadcast, raising the bar a bit. So stay tuned for that. We're going to try to be up to it. Might have to actually study for that one. I think we're studying. Yeah, exactly. Get out the reading glasses. Carbon tax. And then you had another input from the yeah. extended clan. From the extended family back home on, on the island. Question was for my Trumper cousin, why didn't you talk about all the ballots being dumped in Georgia in a suitcase? Big, massive dumps. Anyway, keep those coming, everybody. Send in your thoughts, comments, diatribes to trade.splaining at gmail.com. Once again, that's trade.splaining at gmail.com. But also want to let you know that you can find us on Twitter at, at tradesplaining as well. Today in our news recap, we're talking about the plumbing of trade. COVID-19 has been an accelerator of many trends, and it also seems to be affecting the plumbing, how things actually move across borders. So we wanted to kind of delve into that a little bit, also in the preparation for the Umberto de Preto interview. So let's start with the first of the series of courtesy flushes we have yeah. on that topic. To get that plumbing. Yeah. Get the plumbing fixed. Get that plumbing fixed, Yeah. We have a Christmas story here. Apparently in this uh, holiday season in the U.S. there will be... Was it December already? I'll I'll give you an example from the plumbing of trade of how it's December. 800 million more packages will be delivered during the season than in 2019. So that's a lot. That's something like 20, 30% more. And it's probably a certain percentage more than the system can really handle. So how is this going to work out? Amazon's creating its own delivery service. It's also pushing hard on the UPSs and the FedExs of the world. Shocker. It's a shocker. It's a shocker. I'm going to come to you with a question here in just a minute. Who could have seen this coming? Amazon, what? Is there a podcast out there that talks about Amazon and the (laughs) Amazonification? Apparently, they've hired 275,000 people just since the pandemic started. So this is even FedEx, UPS combined, maybe they've hired about 175,000. They're also putting up 100 new fulfillment centers. They're setting up sorting facilities. So is this now finally the Amazonification of everything? Is it going to be just, we replace the word trade with the word Amazon? Yeah, I think it is. It's We joke about it a lot, but I think you're definitely seeing a continuing of a trend we've been talking about, which is that 
tech companies because of COVID have just been accelerating massively their their market share in a number of areas and expanding into new business lines. Amazon is moving into health. This happened a few weeks ago as well. And now moving into shipping is just another, I think, logical trend. I don't know what that means for the, the future of the world economy if all of our stuff, quote unquote, is coming from one source. I don't think that can be good. I think it must it must speak to the need for us to begin to use antitrust law to look at competition. This is not yet the only delivery service, but they are increasingly determining what a UPS or a FedEx does. And that is going to eventually reduce our choice, reduce competition, increase costs. It just feels like that's going to be the case. But if you own Amazon stock, good. It's good. And if Amazon's listening, we still have that segment open, Bezos Mi Mucho, right? Yeah, come Bezos on. Mi Mucho. Call, it, call in, because the bike lock guys haven't yet come on with their thing. Neither has anyone, really. No, that would be every single thing has not come yet. Like with any good thing, podcasts included, Kevin Costner said, we said this week, actually, build it and you will come. Dances with Wolves. That was my Call of Duty name. Dances with Wolves? Yeah. Beautiful. Dances was with it? Wolves. No. It was I, El Pollo Loco. <laughs> When I was 12. Anyway, I think, again, this is just continuing on what we've been seeing, especially in 2020. Should not be a surprise to anybody. But I don't think this is the Amazonification of everything. I will really start to get worried when we start only having our kids at Amazon warehouses. Amazon schools. Amazon University. Yeah. Amazon everything. This is turning into idiocracy, where Brondo just owns everything. (laughs) You just introduced me to that. I didn't know of it, and I'm sure zero listeners No, they will. For anybody who's wondering what the heck is going on in the U.S. and maybe in the world a little bit to a lesser extent, Google the movie Idiocracy. came out, supposed to be a spoof. Most of it's actually coming true. (laughs) Including reality star presidents. Yeah. So just another quick holiday story. What we read is that the shipping container industry is hustling containers back to East Asia to try to get more knickknacks to fill up your Christmas stockings. And that's making it difficult for Americans to export, American companies to export their goods, typically heavier, lower per unit cost type things like agricultural commodities, because it's much more profitable to send a box back to, let's say, China. And fill it with holiday garlands and your new iPhone, then to send it uh, inland for three weeks to get it filled up with wheat and subsidized corn. Or make America great again hats. Those would be coming the other way, right? Because they're made in China. Get it? Highly valuable. Get it? I did did get that. Yeah, I got that. Thanks a lot. So another thing that's... (laughs) So another thing in the plumbing of trade, I mean, maybe this is more obvious, supply chains are now getting ready. They're getting tuned up to deal with vaccines. True. Which is a big challenge for them. Talk to us about what, what that's doing to supply chains right now. Well, I think when you look at supply chain actors in different parts of the world, their reaction is equal measure, panic, and we'll be fine. Opportunity as well. Uh, yeah. Both. It's uh, probably an opportunity, but more how are we going to get this done? So if you're comparing this to, say, PPE supply chains, it's orders of magnitude more complex to get a vaccine one of which, or maybe a few of which, will need to be kept at, say, negative, Very low seven, temperatures, negative yeah. 70 degrees across different border crossings by different modes of transportation and even the, the different transiting that will require. So just getting it from a, a truck to a plane to a train yeah. and all that work yeah. in between will require an infinitesimal more amount of coordination among countries. So if you talk to different actors, they're already stretched thin by the pandemic. So freight companies, for example, are facing problems ranging from shrinking capacity on container cargo ships and cargo aircraft to a lack of visibility of actually when a vaccine will arrive. So it's, a, it's unpredictable, unpredictability, lack of supply and huge demand and all coming at the same time. 
This is not something new. So shippers have struggled for years to reduce the paperwork and upgrade old technology. So these are things that we actually talk about in development. So we're seeing this affect the developed world as well as the developing world in real time, right? Yeah. So we talk a lot about trade facilitation, making trade easier at the border, reducing transaction costs, not necessarily making trade freer, but just making it less cumbersome, right? And reducing the number of steps. So exactly. if this piece of paper has got to be re-entered into this system and again into this system and again into this system, you've got a human at each step. So, uh, so, so I think the, the vaccine, I think, is is making it is hard enough. Some people, as I said, have, they're really worried that we're not prepared enough. Others are of the opinion that even though capacity is strained across shipping networks, that this simply requires a concerted global strategy on global strategy and coordination on getting things done. So shocker, countries can can no longer, when they're facing global problems like this, really go it alone. Despite all that, airlines have been trying to ramp up their air freight capabilities. So bringing on more freighters, converting passenger aircraft, which aren't being used to actually mm-hmm. ship passengers because mm-hmm. nobody's flying, converting those into uh, cargo. The air, the International Air Transport Association, something we'll talk a little bit about Umberto's some, second favorite. Umberto's second favorite. Motor uh, travel, maybe third. Trade group <laughs> after walking. <laughs> has estimated that it would take the equivalent of 8,000 fully laden Boeing 747s to deliver a dose ship it by air to everyone around the world. So this just gives you an idea of just the sheer capacity that's going to be needed. And again, this is to say nothing of the strict temperature controls, which we'll need. So we'll need to figure out how to keep it cold long enough. I see references to things like freezer farms. So they're setting up many, many portable freezers at airports. And I guess those would have to be linked with freezer trucks. And so this is is why it's so difficult. Mm. So conclusion, it's doable. It's quite difficult, but it is doable. And like any global problem, it will require global solutions, specifically, as I said, coordinated global strategy between But that's where I think the difficulty is, Artie, is that we saw in the COVID, the, the lead up to COVID, the PPE situation and so on, global coordination failed. But we can say it failed or it was mm. not up to the standard. Mm. So we have people blocking exports. We have people putting in restrictions they shouldn't be putting in. We have governments that are acting with lags and so on. Mm. And we see things that are uncoordinated in terms of lockdowns and so on. So the the requirement for increased coordination, we really see the weaknesses maybe in that system. And that's where we hope for you know a new American administration, but also a Europe that's more agile in coordinating. Uh, and, and a private sector that can that can also connect us and organizations, I'm going to say it like WTO, who can provide a table around which we can agree how to do things. I think uh, I tend to be a bit more optimistic just because we messed up so badly the first time around. I think at a minimum, maybe what you'll see is that okay, the developed countries, the UKs, which have already approved the vaccine in the US, which will probably follow in the next week or so, yeah, they'll figure out a way to get it done. And then the rest of the world would just somehow follow along based on how, when you talk about first mover companies and, and lead firms, so based on how they get the vaccine deployed, the rest of the world would follow suit. Yeah, I think it. I think it's, let's say, another test of, of supply chain. So we see how, how agile can they be, both from a standpoint of how they're being managed by the private sector, but also how we can coordinate across borders, and especially with a very difficult product in a way. Talking about good coordination, Brexit, again, is coming on. Now we're getting up to the final stretch here. Negotiations continue between the European Union and the United Kingdom. We might be heading towards a little bit of a hiccup in international trade and supply chains. Mm. What's that going to look like? Well, ACDC wrote a good song 
called Highway to Hell. Yeah, that was <laughs> anticipating just this moment. And, and yeah. They wrote the song Highway to Hell 40 years ago, knowing that Brexit would bring about a huge hindrance ah. to to trade between Britain and the a EU. Challenge. A, a steep challenge. A steep challenge that they may be facing. Yeah. And this, when we're talking about the plumbing of trade, this relates to even things as simple as trucking, right? So there was a really interesting interview on BBC, it was the LBC, excuse me, where an actual ship freighter in the UK is pointing out that most of the actual trucks that do the shipping of goods between the UK and the rest of the world, so where the Tesco's of the world get their actual goods in British Mm -hmm. stores, most of them are owned not by British companies, but by companies in France and elsewhere. And so and further east, yeah, and further east, exactly. Romania, you talked about Romania, Serbia, Bulgaria, places I know a little bit about. Yeah, hashtag the Balkans. And so this presents enormous challenges. If, for example, the day after a hard Brexit, quote unquote, those companies have completely different trade customs procedures at the border, and there's actually no companies or even containers now because they're all getting filled with knickknacks in China yeah. to send those. Where the profit is exactly. Exactly. So this is just a good microcosm of the wider issue when we're talking about Brexit in that this will affect us in a number of ways. Now, maybe people are overreacting or they're freaking out unnecessarily. But what I always like to say is that if they didn't freak out, maybe these things would happen. Right? Maybe the reason they don't happen in the end is because our hair, we're running around with our hair on yeah, fire now. And some of the things the guy mentions, for instance, throughout his, he's got a yeah, freight loading terminal for in his whole time, he's loaded one British truck. Otherwise, all the trucks have been European trucks. And that, and we see on British roads, even in Swiss roads, a lot of trucks that are registered in the East. So as you say, so it does sound a little worrying. And those trucks might just say, since I get paid based on the kilometer and I'm going to be spending a lot of time at a border and I'm going to be losing money because I'm not going to be making up any kilometers, I just don't see the incentive in it. So how are we going to rearrange those incentives if there is a blockage at the border in order to make sure these the plumbing of trade doesn't get backed up? Well, tune in next week for the <laughs> season finale of Brexit to find out how it all works out. Yeah, I'm going to have to figure out some other segment we put in there. What I want to know is what are all these Twitterati yeah. going to do once Brexit is actually over? Have you heard of this term, Davoisi? No. So it's the Davos folks. It's it's from right wing in the US, but they describe all the elites as Davoisi. No. This is a made up word. No, you know, didn't didn't work. No, I thought I thought maybe that we would light up when I said it. You didn't light up. No. I didn't see maybe because maybe because it hit too close to home. Exactly. You mean me? Is that you looking at me? Let me put the the champagne and caviar away. (laughs) Umberto Di Preto is the Secretary General of the International Road Transport Union. He joined the IRU in 1995 as Head of Economic Affairs and was appointed Deputy Secretary General in 2002. He's responsible for leading the IRU's advocating work for the international road transport industry and working to ensure that it's ready for the challenges and opportunities ahead. And no, I did not write this. <laughs> After graduating from Ottawa's Carleton University in political science, economics, and IR, he worked as a legislative assistant for ministers and members of the Canadian Parliament from 86 to 91, and in 91 took a position as head of the transport division of the ICC in Paris. Born in 61, Umberto holds Canadian and Italian citizenship. Umberto, maybe you could start by telling us a little bit about yourself. You know, what brought you to Geneva, to the IRU in particular, and, you know, what's the journey been like? 
Well, the journey was a long one. It started in Canada, and I, I moved to Europe 30 years ago. And so I moved when I was 30. I'm coming up to 60 now. So it's, it's been a, a long haul. But after four years of working in Paris, I was working at the International Chamber of Commerce. I was offered uh, the job to come to Geneva to work for this thing called the IRU. And I can tell you from the outset, the IRU excited me. Geneva at the time, and I specified the time, did not excite me. In fact, I, I was very tempted to turn down the job because living in Paris and then saying, well, you're going to come to Geneva? Like, are you kidding me? Uh, and, and instead, now, after 25 years of, of being in Geneva, I, I dream of living the rest of my life here in retirement. That's, that's how much it's changed over the years. Geneva's really grown on me, obviously, from wanting to reject it as a place of work to a place where I'd love to live the rest of my life. So it's, 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 it's been it's, quite a path. It's, it's positively correlated your desire to live in Geneva, I think, with the amount of actual Genevois in Geneva, right? So the amount of Calvinists go down, your desire to stay here goes <laughs> could up. Be, yeah, could be. Well, it, it, it's, I, I think Geneva is a unique place. Tell me another uh, city in the world other than perhaps Dubai, where the majority, some 50 to 60 percent of the people are not Swiss. I mean, it's the most international city in that sense. It's, uh, it, it's unique. And the IRU, was that something you so that that was already your area of expertise? Did you grow into that? Is that something? Well, actually, I, I started more general and then got very specific. I, I started in Canada in politics. I worked as legislative assistant for, for members of parliament and so very much in, in the political game. And then after that, I went to Paris and dealt with broad trade issues. So you guys will love this one. So the ICC, the World Business Organization, and, and looking at, you know, in the broader sense, you know, all the WTO at the time when I was there was GATT, all, all these multilateral trade issues. And then from there, I was offered this position to come work for this thing called the IRU, the International Road Transport Union. I thought it was the International Rugby Union at first, and I'm a rugby player. So, hey, this <laughs> yeah, is yeah, I'm in. I'm in. But, but, but <laughs> okay, well, it's road transport. I like I like road transport as well. I'm I, I'm a gearhead, <laughs> so this yeah. is something I could really get into. And the the beauty of working at the IRU, and and I would challenge anybody to throw me any issue in the world, and I'll say how road transport is not only an integral part of the solution, but how if you don't include us in in the solution, you'll completely miss, miss the target completely. So the, the biggest questions in the world, whether it be CO2 reduction, poverty alleviation, all of these issues, all are dependent on road transport functioning well. So you, you believe? I believe. People have called me a preacher, but I've, I've often said, you know, I'm, I'm a lobbyist and, and I can basically defend anything. What I can't do, I can't lie. So I won't point to one of the other Wait. modes that I would never work for because <laughs> yes, they have to basically <laughs> make, make up stories to, 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 to sound good. And I can't do that. I Is mean, there kind it, of a rivalry? So yeah. It's so much more convincing when, when, when you can tell great stories because we have great stories. So obviously, yes, road transport is critical to trade. And this is a weird moment for trade. So trades come under a lot of fire. We know uh, our neighbors at WTO yep. are under a lot of pressure. Has yep. the way you think about trade and what it means for society, has that evolved as, as it has for a lot of us? So before we thought maybe efficiency was the thing. Now we're worried about other yep. issues. How's it evolved for you? Yeah. When I first got to the RU, so 25 years ago, I had a completely different concept of trade. Coming from the ICC, everything was you know big issues. Rather than looking at the, the real problems at borders, we were looking at you know big, big statements. We need free trade. Well, great, that's nice. <laughs> but but what what actually happens on the ground? And when I came to the RU and I saw what actually happens, for example, at border crossings, and there are places in the world where the trucks wait two weeks and nobody cares. Yeah. As if nobody ever studied Economics 101 and knowing that it's not the truck that's stuck there, it's the economy that's stuck there. It's the goods that are in the truck that are stuck there and that some governments just don't see that. And that's the biggest frustration 
and trying to get governments to understand that. That's that's the first thing that changed in that not everybody sees trade and, and what is trade actually, that the trade is what's moving in the vehicles. So they just see it as, as a term on a piece of paper as opposed to something physically moving. The second thing, and that, that struck me, and it also came from the RU, when we were created in 1948, one year later, we created what is called the TIR system, which basically allows a truck to go from origin to destination. The goods are inspected at, at origin, at final destination, in between can go through many countries. It later became a United Nations convention in 1959. But if you look at it historically, it was actually the tier convention that allowed Europe at the time, post-World War II, to trade with one another, trade with trust. You have to think nobody liked each other this after the Second World War, and and the sense of trust was not there, and it's and it's a great story. Now in Europe, basically the borders have disappeared, so tier continues to expand eastwards and and around the globe. So it's twenty twenty. Technology is playing obviously. Technology is always playing a, a big role in our lives. But how do you foresee the advances in technology shaping the industry and the IOU's work specifically? So, yeah. you know, self-driving well, cars, it, Tesla's it, coming out with a, a truck every other week in between yeah, going yeah. to Mars or, or whatnot. How, how is this affecting your work? Well, the, the cool part is that all the technology we need to, to increase our efficiency and security tenfold already exists. The problem is we have an issue that you have technology that goes at the speed of light. But as you deal with governments, we know that government legislation and, and even more so when we look at uh, international conventions, they don't change at the same speed. And, and so we do have developments in the industry which are good, but at the same time, they seem a, a bit unbalanced. So I'll, give, I'll give a very simple example that everybody knows about Uber. Uh, great technology, but then we turn back to governments and say, well, why is it that the taxi industry that, by the way, we also represent, we're not just trucking, we're also buses, coaches, and taxis. And so the, so the taxi industry that is subjected to these regulations specifically for the taxi industry, you say, well, if Uber doesn't have to follow them, why do we? So we basically say, same service, same rules. But for, for governments to actually implement all of this, it's, it's challenging. All the conventions at the UN, like the tier convention, all of these are going electronic, which is fantastic. That means uh, you can then send information in advance to, to the border crossings, which is fantastic. That means they know who you are, where you're going, what you're carrying, and if you normally go through there. And by doing this, then the customs can do all their risk assessment and then let the goods go by without basically stopping trade, without stopping the goods, without stopping the economy. And if we put this in the context of COVID, why don't we better use these UN instruments like TIER so that we can get through the borders without physical contact? So technology has great solutions in terms of the pandemic. It has great solutions in terms of our efficiency. But we need to make sure that regulation keeps up. And when we look at batteries and all, yes, for, for certain applications, for long distance, you still need a, basically a 17-ton battery to move to move a truck. But it's coming. And the technologies are super exciting. The autonomous vehicles, I mean, they'll, com they'll completely change the industry. We, we hear a lot about the Northern Ireland-Irish border, Brexit. We've been talking a little bit about that. Mm. And there's a kind of a hope that a magical solution will appear that will allow the border to not be a border but still function as a border. So yeah, do you have no. that magical solution Boris, that we can turn on? Tier. Tier is it. I knew you were going to say that. Spoken but... to, we've already spoken <laughs> both to the commission and to – you're laughing. I'm telling you. I can I can find a solution to everything. Tier solves everything. I thought Boris Brexit. Johnson was the solution. And, 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 this, and this is no joke. We're speaking to British Customs saying, listen, this the moment, the moment you have a hard Brexit, what are you going to do? You'll no longer have the European transit system. I said, what are you going to do? You're just going to stop trade? I said, you're both signatories 
all the all the EU countries are signatories to the tier convention. We're now going to go completely digital with tier, so there's no reason not to use tier. And and they're excited about this that it actually gives them an option rather than just having a hard Brexit, everything stops and and the economy goes to hell. But then also for the Irish issue, because you have inspection and origin, because you have inspection and final destination, you don't need that physical border anymore. And that's why I think it's also a solution for, for, for the Irish issue. So it could be like a Nobel Prize kind of thing, like wow. a George Michael. George Michael? <laughs> Didn't what? George Michael uh, negotiate uh, the peace? No, that's no, that's no, different. No, he negotiated Mitchell. Wham. George Mitchell. Wham. Yeah, sorry. That's Wham. That's, that's, no. that's a Wham deal. It's not, not, yeah. not the, <laughs> won't work. Wham is what's going to happen to Rob when, when this interview is over. Yeah, exactly. Gonna We're going to talk to the, the editing guy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you, you, you mentioned COVID. I think that's a good segue yeah. into the next question. So on this podcast, we talk a lot about COVID as an accelerator of sorts, right? Mm-hmm. So the short-term impacts of COVID have been acute across all economic areas, save for maybe the tech sector, which we've seen, you know, you talked about technology yeah. before, has seen exponential growth. So what has the impact been on road transport? What's that been like? And, and how is an organization like the IRU adapting? The first thing, the impact has been tremendous on the industry. And I'll say both negative, but also positive. There's two sides to this coin. Of course, economically, the economy, the moment the economy slows down, it's basic economics, no economy, no transport. Unless you're in the sector where you're delivering medicine or food or delivering Amazon products or eBay products or anything that's online, then then you're in business because that's booming. We're estimated that this year, the industry will lose over 1 trillion US dollars. So 580 million for goods transport and over 500 million for passenger, so bus and coach industry. But just to put that in perspective, for the for the good side, it's minus 18%. For the passenger side, it's minus 57%. But in terms of what we've done, the first thing we had to do was get information out to our members. As we're a global organization, we had to inform all our members, what happens when you get to XYZ border? What are the restrictions being put in place mm. there? And the first mm. thing we did was to write to the United Nations and guys, I mean, this is a global, a global pandemic. It needs global solutions. We need global coordination at the borders. Now, perhaps it was it was dreaming that this would happen. If I look just in Geneva, I'm not going to cite the, the grocery store, but if I go to the grocery store next to the IRU here or the one close to where I live, and they had two completely different procedures to get inside. So I could imagine yeah, how true. if the same, <laughs> the same grocery chain has two different procedures, how if you get to two I, different border crossings with two different governments, you're going to have a different procedure. So that was a challenge we were facing. So what other thing, like a COVID thing, we talked a little bit uh, last episode about vaccine diplomacy and vaccine. Yep. You know, this is now a big thing, supply chains for vaccine, minus 70, and it will require heavy-duty refrigeration and so on. Are your members yep. happy? Like I said, every problem, the transport Tear. industry will have the solution. Sure. If you're, if you're going to have to uh, transport stuff at minus 70, you need refrigerated transport, which we do. It, it won't be easy. I mean, to keep something at minus 70 will be, will be difficult, but it'll be the road transport industry that will step up to it and make sure that everything is delivered as it should be on time and at the right place when it needs to be there and still frozen. <laughs> and <laughs> this is the thing. Still very frozen. <laughs> So Artie and I work in developing countries. A lot of the work is yep. in Africa and trucking is very expensive. There sure. are, you know, it's cartelized. There's a lot of deadheading, you know, the trucks yep. are empty, which causes additional cost and so yep. on. So it's, it's, it's a real issue and it, it's a real competitiveness issue for the, for these, these economies. So yeah, what, and, and, if you could do that, right, sure. wave your wand, what is the thing we should be trying to, let's say, if we work in services trade, or we work in other areas, what should we be doing? 
When I was in uh, Addis Ababa speaking to the African Union, they said that they had done analysis and their analysis showed if they could implement tier, they would double trade in the African continent, double trade. So, so in yes, terms of Africa, the, the solution yeah. is tier. Once okay. again, <laughs> but, but, I think it was Bob Marley who said we have to tear it up. <laughs> so all of these trucks moving around is polluting, right? That must be generating a lot of CO2. Should we have fewer trucks? Should the trucks be going a shorter distance? What do we do there? But let me ask you then, what, what's the cleanest mode of transport besides bicycles? And even bicycles, you have to build them in China. I think so I know what the right answer here is, but I'm, I'm going to say train. Train? Okay. Well, I, we've shown that unless you're, using, unless you're using nuclear energy yeah. okay, for the trains, road transport is either as clean or more clean because the majority of, of electricity that's produced today is produced by coal, by burning coal. Okay, And so for CO2, that's a nightmare. Now, I'm a big believer that we need every mode, including trains, but not because they're clean, but because we need capacity. As it's expected that the growth of goods transport, as you know, being in the trade business is just going to continue to grow. We're going to need to make best use of every single mode. But is sustainability more broadly or, or climate consciousness, whatever buzzword you want to use, is this something that's on the IRU's mind when they're talking about you know, increasing road transport, not only increasing it, yep. but making it cleaner, sure. making it... Now what, so what we aim for is better transport, not more transport. And, and what I showed to the membership was very simple. I said, sustainability equals profitability. And unless you're sustainable, you will not make money. And just look at reducing our emissions. I said, to reduce your emissions, you need to reduce your fuel consumption. Be more efficient. You reduce yeah. your fuel consumption, that's money in your pocket, guys. I mean, <laughs> yes, we can go out and say, yes, we're saving the planet. But at the same time, you're also saving your pocketbook and you're making uh, more money. And, and the cleaner the vehicle, the safer the vehicle, the less will be your cost. You have to show it from a business perspective, not simply mm. from the SDG perspective. So, But in terms of the SDGs, you know, in, in sustainability, I would challenge anyone to say, how do you achieve any of the SDGs, any of them, without efficient road transport? I'm not saying tier. I'm saying efficient road transport. Uh, life, Everyone, life life under, even the one that life says, underwater. No, that's, come on, that's, that's, that's too Earth. obscure. No way. Life underwater. Uh, <laughs> what about the under, underwater well, one? Kevin Costner reference? Is that one? Yeah. <laughs> Water world. <laughs> but, but, but I remember uh, the, the, the American ambassador here a few years back, she called a bunch of international organizations together. She said, it was the for her campaign and, and everything about how sure, do we empower yeah, women. I remember. And I said, you know, I'm so happy that, that, that you're, you're pulling this together. I said, because anything that a, a woman will grow or, or produce, if it doesn't get to market, I mean, it's just wasted. And then how do you empower them? And it could get to market. And then, of course, you know what I said to her, tier, because anything that they, and I said, no matter where they are in the world, tier can actually empower the women to get their goods that they're producing or growing to market. I'm telling you, tier, there you go. Tear it up. I'm, talk to your communications yeah. team. Tear it up. Tear it up. We're going we're gonna, we're gonna to have to play this through, through all the hallways of Stop. tomorrow. We have a speaker system. We'll play it loud. <laughs> well, I think now is the time. Maybe we'll, we'll change gears ever so slightly. So, Humberto, as we've discovered and as our listeners have discovered, you are, in fact, an expat. So first question. <laughs> as are most people here. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. We, we could tell by the accent. So we noticed that you grew up in Canada. So the first question mm -hmm. is, is Umberto a common Canadian? A lot name? of Canadians are named Umberto. Well, uh, is that I'll tell you, you're not the first, you're not the first people to ask me that question. <laughs> I married, I, I married an American. So my sons are actually uh, American, Canadian, but, but I went to, to uh, renew their passports. I had to go in as a father and sign. And the gentleman, the very kind American gentleman, when I gave him my passport, he said to me, Umberto de Preto, that doesn't sound so Canadian. 
and, and you know, I'm not going to just let that one go by. I said, unless your name is two bears running in the snow, what is a Canadian name? <laughs> what, is a, what is a Canadian name? We're all immigrants. You know, what is a Canadian name? So I grew up in Wisconsin on the Canadian border. Are Canadians just like Wisconsinites? Are you nicer? Of course, of course. Go to New York, stand on a corner and look around as if you're looking for something and see how long it takes for somebody to come and say to you, excuse me, can I help you? I said, you could be waiting days, okay? Or try that in Canada. I said, within a minute, somebody's going to come, hey, bye, can I help you? So, yeah, so... That's, that's, that's maybe, maybe yes, uh, Artie's, nice. Artie's part of, of New York. Nice. I think even in the part of New York City I grew up in, it's, it's even worse. You probably wait weeks. Or they'd be like, what are you doing here? Yeah. Yep. Who, who, who let you in? Hey, guy. <laughs> and, and, then I, and at that point I say, dad, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing here? <laughs> so Umberto also, yep. this is Rob's personal favorite question. We love to mm-hmm. ask, people think that fondue is the national dish in Switzerland, but mm-hmm. in Geneva, so, most people are surprised to find out that it's actually kebab. So mm-hmm. our question to you is not, have you ever had a kebab stolen, but what, what is your favorite kebab place in Geneva? I really never was too much into kebabs. The only good story I have about kebabs is I got my, my two sons off of McDonald's. And I said, wow, for less money, I can have this, this real meat sandwich. <laughs> and at the same place, I remember trying out some of my Turkish on, on the guy. And as we were leaving, I said, Alas maladeh, which in, in Turkish means I leave you in the hands of God. And the guy looked at me and said, a curd. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so moving yeah, on. Those are my experiences with kebab. Yeah, okay. A favorite check, please. Check, yeah, exactly. Check, please. Got to roll. Got to roll. Boys, let's go quick. <laughs> we're, we're done here. <laughs> Before we leave, Umberto, where can people find you? Yeah, I, I don't accept anything on Facebook. I, I restrict that to my rugby friends and family. But I'm on LinkedIn, my, my IRU email address. You just go to our website, IRU.org, or just put tier. I'm sure if, I'm sure if you put tier on the Google search, you'll find me. I am sure, sure. You put tier, you'll find my name somehow and, and link up with uh, me. Okay. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Fantastic. You you heard it here, folks. Looking for you Roberto De Preto, Google tier. Google tier, and yep. you will find it. T-E-A-R. If you tier it, he will come. <laughs> build it and they will come that's the second kevin costner reference in this one that's, a, that's, that's, that's a canadian weird. thing <laughs> i thought i thought we'd be talking more ryan reynolds or something you know another another famous canadian famous canadian actors Actually, william shatner is he uh, well, yeah. canadian regis although Philbin? he's not, although he's not very funny <laughs> alex trebek alex trebek is canadian yeah. Was. He's Canadian, yeah. Was, sorry. Was. was. Yeah. Just going to a higher reward. Michael J. Fox. It just goes on and on. John Candy, Dan Aykroyd. Justin Bieber. Long, you said you're long. a believer, Je- but are you a believer? Uh, no, no, no. That's that one there. We we disowned him, I think, at some point. Didn't I think somebody burnt his passport. <laughs> no, no, you can't be Canadian. Impossible. <laughs> He's no longer it's a believer. Bon. Thanks again. Cool. Alberto, thank yeah. you. Thanks, guys. It was fun. It was a fantastic talk. Very delightful. Thank oh. you. Well, that was a super interesting interview, huh, Rob? I think I have some advice for our listeners at home. What they should do is maybe now that we're bored because of lockdown, maybe some of us are starting to come out. We're not really ready to socialize. We don't want to socialize. Play a drinking game at home on Zoom. Do a shot every time one of us in this interview says, Tear! <laughs> I think that's a recipe that for loads be, of fun. And, and by the way, if any uh, Slivovitz makers or Canadians or road truckers want to sponsor this segment. You know where to find us. Okay, that brings us to our next segment, Artie. This is This Week in Local News. This segment is where we explore what's happening around us here in Switzerland and how it affects the world. So today, we're only really reading and talking about one thing, ski season. Love it. You've got your custom boots, you've got your boot dryer. 
I got all that last year. The boot dryer this year, that's true, because it was on sale. Hashtag Black Friday. Yeah, on sale for one zillion. Yeah. Which used to be two zillion. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So ski season this year is going to be canceled because of COVID. They are shutting down ski runs in France. They're shutting down ski runs in Italy, shutting down ski runs in Germany. But, but wait, folks. Not, not in, in Switzerland. Switzerland. So here they've said, we're going to be eating, we're going to be skiing. Or as the French say, je m'en fous. And, and as the those in Switzerland have said, we will put in concepts of security. We will have masks. We will have authorizations of ski runs. It's going to go forward safely. I think it's from that Mel Gibson movie, also Braveheart. He said, you can take my skis, but you can't take my freedom. That's he's paraphrasing here. So I think this is a very personal issue for you. You were in Verbier in February 2020. Am I right? February, March even. Uh, yes. March 2020, the last weekend before skis season closed. And that was literally a super spreader event. Not that you were necessarily the was, chief spreader. Was not doing any spreading. So I guess, and even then, I told you that's maybe not the best place to be. We should rename this podcast Man Spreading. <laughs> Man Spreading, Ski Spreading. So are you going to go back up there with all these concepts of security? I'm going to throw a little curveball at your way and tell you I've already been up there two weeks ago. Last yeah. week? Last How weekend. Was it? Excuse me. It was fantastic. Fresh snow. They only opened two pieces. I have to say, I think you're doing something right. There was only two people in each of the gondolas. Always had to wear your mask. It was a bit stressful being next to all those people, even though they had their masks on. But the sun was shining and people were skiing. And the main thing when I did ski that I did was the drinking afterwards. The après ski, yeah. which is prohibited. That is prohibited. So unfortunately... So you do it before, like before ski? So, but that'll actually... Do, Avant ski? That'll, <laughs> that'll do good for reducing the lines at the ski list because all the alcoholics won't be skiing. It's like, I, I'm here for the skiing, not for the drinking afterwards. Yeah. When they're really here for the so drinking. You, so you're making a stand on that one. Yeah. So I'm fine with that. And last we have, we've been talking about multilateralism and coordination. I this ain't coordinated. I thought we were talking about value for money. <laughs> this ain't coordinated at all. No. So if you're on this side of the Valley du Soleil in Switzerland, you can ski. If you're on that side, you're in France, you can't ski. This, this shows what a noob you are in terms of skiing because it's called Porte du Soleil. Porte du Soleil, whatever. The Valley Soleil, du Soleil. Thing. Yeah, they're all valets of soleil when they get sun. Porte de soleil, whatever it is. If you're on this side of the damn thing, you can't ski. If you're on that side, you can't ski. Does that make sense? It does. <laughs> it just does. It does. And that's what I'm sticking it with. It does because I'm on the side that you can ski on. I can so ski I really on this care. side. I yeah, really exactly. I can ski on this side. And apparently they're going to be doing border checks to figure out if folks have skis or somehow look like they might ski How between the French that? and Swiss border. The French maybe are just coming for the fondue. Anyway, we are making a joke, but it does highlight this issue of global coordination, which is very much lacking when it comes to even European skiing, coordination. Yeah. Even even in Europe, we are laughing, and it is funny. It's funny because to quote the guy in Valais, we don't care. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> to quote the president of the Swiss Canton, on mangera et on skira. We will ski. We will eat in Valais. Yeah, and and the Italians can do what they want. Anyway, happy skiing. Enjoy. And if there's any ski companies out there like Elan, who, whose skis I own, feel free to sponsor us. Bezos just we are, He owns that now. We are. <laughs> it's good. So this is our business plan, folks. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Trade.splaining at giveusmoney.com. That's uh, if, you, if you're a spot, uh, potential sponsor. Moving on. Well, folks, that about wraps up this week's episode. We'd like to thank our guest, Umberto De Preto, for joining us and discussing all things supply chain, trucking, and tear. 
We hope you enjoyed this week's episode as much as we did. That's right, everybody. Enjoy your shots. And also don't forget to download this episode and subscribe if you haven't already to make sure you catch our next one coming up in a few weeks. Also, you can find us on Twitter at at Tradesplaining or email us at trade.splaining at gmail.com. And don't forget to tell your friends. And potential sponsors. Until then, stay classy, world.